0: Good morning, First Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Well, it was kind of weak. How's everybody doing this morning?
1: There you go. Why don't you guys stand up? Can't really hear because all the masks. But <laughs> you <We> did it.
0: <laughs> well, good morning. We're going to worship the Lord this morning. Let's uh, go to go to Lord in prayer before we do that. <clears throat> Lord, we just um, we're thankful to be able to gather here uh, today just to worship you, and also to do it um, from from home, Lord, for a lot of us, so um, we just, we ask that you'd be here with us, Lord. Um, we just want to glorify you. We just want to worship you, Lord. Just open our hearts, Lord, to um, what you have for us this, this morning, Lord, to for us to receive that, Lord, and that we would just be um, ready to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning.
2: of you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me, all my days I've been held in your hands, from the moment that I wake up, until I lay my head, who I will sing of the goodness of God.
3: crushing, in the pressing, you are making new wine, and in the soil I now surrender, you are breaking new ground so i yield to you into your careful hand when i trust you i don't need to understand so make me a vessel make me an offering make me whatever you want me to be And I came to you with nothing in the pressing, you are making new wine. In the soul I now surrender, you are breaking new ground. so many ¡Es el
1: We do trust you. We trust you as the vine and God the Father as the vine dresser. I pray that this would be the prayer of our hearts. If there's ever a time where we need newness of something, newness of, of strength, of boldness, of um, rest, rest from confusion and all of the things that are happening in our world. God, we trust you. We present ourselves as coming before you with nothing. God, you've brought us to this point. We just got to sing about the fact that you've been faithful for all of our lives. God, we trust you. Jesus, we trust you. Holy Spirit, we trust you to do this work in our lives. And we trust that it's even in the difficulty and the crushing and the breaking that so many of us have been experiencing in many different ways um, that. Even the pruning in our lives is what you do because you love us, and it's for our good. God, help us to remember that attribute about you, that that you can do no wrong, that you are holy, that you are good, and that you cannot sin against us. You cannot do anything against us that is contradictory to your character, that is contradictory to what is best for us. So we do ask that you would bring new wine out of our lives. and God, even as we transition into singing more about your goodness and declaring a truth that you will never let us down, God, I pray for those here and those watching who can't find themselves singing or declaring this from a place of feeling that way based on our circumstances. Maybe it feels like you're not close or that you're not good. And God, that's just, that's just us bringing our feelings and our, our um, just realities. Sometimes it's reality that we don't feel these truths about you. But so if that's the case for anyone, I just pray that we'd be able to sing this next song as a way to remind our souls of what's true, just as David did to say, why are you so downcast on oh my soul, Hope in God. So would we remember your character, remember who you are? And even just sing these songs as prayers, that we're not in these places right now where we can sing out of abundance or joy necessarily or any sort of happy circumstances, but God, you're there with us. You don't promise um, a life without difficulty, but you promise your presence in the midst of those difficulties. And so we cling to you. We trust you. Um, We just pray that our hearts would be postured towards you in the rest of our time in singing together. Amen.
2: You're good, oh.
3: You're never gonna let, you're never gonna
1: let tell me your soul down. what's true. And you're never
3: gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Together, strangest neighbors, a blood is one. one truth God is madly in love with you so take courage hold on be strong No CREATE
0: Lord, we just thank you that we could just gather together and worship your name. Lord, we love you so much. We're so thankful for your love, your grace, your mercy in our lives, Lord, even though we don't deserve it, yet you give it to us anyways. We thank you that we just have that opportunity, Lord. We just thank you for the chance to gather together and worship, Lord we ask that our hearts would just remain open as we get into the word today to just receive from you, Lord, and that we might be changed and not leave here the same. Amen. We're going to take a short break. Um, you guys can sit, and you people at home can um, do whatever you want to do for a few minutes while you rearrange the stage, and we'll be right back.
4: Okay. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. There we go. Welcome, everyone, as we uh, come back. And um, I was thinking about uh, how different this has been uh, these past few months, and, and the bulk of our congregation is still at home watching on TV and on computers, and, and so things are different and changed and not the way they were. And, uh, and I thought, you know, some of the things that we used to do every week, we don't do anymore, and I, so I said, well, I'm going to do one, just a reminder for you, just to, in a way of focusing. This morning is not about you. This morning is about God. It's about us submitting and glorifying the Lord. Now, we may learn something. We may find something. You, know, you may get a charge out of something that may be awesome, but ultimately, this is about God, and it's about honoring and worshiping Him. That's why we're here together. Another thing I want to say is, uh, we mentioned it last week, I just keep, want to keep putting it in your head to be thinking about. Uh, you can go to our website and email us. You can text us. however you want to get in contact. We're interested in ideas. We're interested in ideas of, of what the church can do in this kind of new world we're in, because it doesn't look like things are going to change a lot in the next uh, six months or so. And so we we kept Thinking, we'll just wait till things get back to normal and things aren't getting back to normal. And so we're we're thinking of some ideas and we're open to ideas from people to try to uh, find different ways to minister, to reach out, to impact our neighborhood. One that we're kicking around that you could be thinking and praying about is, is in this time where parents are struggling with educational issues and their kids and not being able to help their kids, we're thinking of uh, the possibility in, in the near future of setting up... Um, tutoring here at the church, allowing parents to bring their child to get tutored by an adult or a college student for an hour or anything like that, free of charge, just to help them through this incredibly difficult time where I know, you know, some kids thrive on that and some kids fall behind. And we really want to be a part of um, ministering with, to start off with, at least within our congregation, and then the possibility that this would expand to a greater outreach uh, to our community to be able to help in this difficult time, all right, we're in a series on the book of Hosea. We've been in this series for stinking ever, and uh, it, but we're we're getting close. We're getting close. Hang with me. And today we're going to talk about Hosea chapter twelve. I titled entitled this "The Tangled Web We Weave." That is actually from a a, um, a poem. Um, Marmion, A Tale of Field, by uh, Sir Walter Scott is is where it's from. But it, it says this. It says, oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. And it's that whole idea. We all know this is true. You tell a lie, and then somebody starts questioning you about it, and what do you have to do? You have to build lies on it. To make it seem, to fill it out, to make it seem reasonable. And so it becomes this tangled web because then you have to remember the lies that you told. And that can get so hard and so difficult. Not that I speak from experience. This is just something that people have told me is true. I just want you to understand that. And so when we start to look at Hosea, when we start to look at the Word of God, um, Christianity, this being people who are followers of the Word, people of the Word, people of the book people who follow Jesus, Christianity teaches us what we all want to avoid, that we tend to be blind to our own sinfulness. We tend to be great in picking it out in others. We're good at saying, well, that's wrong, or those people are wrong, or those people are wrong. We're not good at saying, I have the same problem. I just express it in a different way. I just do it in a different way. And this, this, this really worries me. I worry, this is one of the things that I think about sometimes, I worry I could become a Pharisee. I could have all my doctrine right, I could be working really hard to live right, and totally miss what God is doing. You look at the Pharisees, you know, we have a tendency sometimes to to dump on the Pharisees and beat them, but they were people who really were trying hard. And their motives could be mixed, and a lot of things could get mixed in with that, but they... They believed they had their doctrine right. They believed that they were doing the right things. And they missed the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of the world. They missed Jesus. Why? Because Christianity teaches us we tend to be blind to our own sinfulness. And so I try to have this stance. I try to say to myself continually... Uh, when I deal with issues, when I deal with people, I always say, Bob, be willing to admit you're wrong in this situation. Be willing to admit. I have to be able to see that I could be wrong, and I have to be willing to admit it if I am wrong. And then I also work at exposing myself to other points of view and trying to think through them honestly. Honestly because I think the thing that we run into a lot is we tend to listen to the things that we agree with and anything we don't agree with, we say that's wrong, but to, to stop and, and check and read both sides and try to understand what people are saying, what's motivating them to say that that's a hard thing to do. And I want to do that. I want to do that. That's why I read books written by atheists. That's why I do that. I need to know what they're saying because Because there is a tendency, and I went to a a Christian institution in college, and there was this tendency that that this guy says this, this is why it's wrong, he's an idiot. This guy says this, this, this is why it's wrong, he's an idiot. This lady says this, this is why it's wrong, she's an idiot. And then lo and behold, as I went on to graduate school, I read what they said, and I realized that person's not an idiot. I think they're wrong, but they're not an idiot. And to belittle them in that way is to, is to do an injustice and to avoid the truth when we need to never avoid the truth. So we have this tendency, and I'm trying to fight it in my own life. Not always working, not always working. But I try to remind myself I have to follow hard after the truth, even if I don't like the truth or I don't like where it's taking me. I have to follow hard after the truth. I have to want the truth. And as Christians, we have to be willing to allow God to change us. We have to be willing. And now we get to Hosea and what's going on just in the whole book of Hosea. What's going on? People who are running from God, people who have turned away from God and they're, and they're doing the the mechanical aspects of worship. They're doing that. They go to the temple, they offer a sacrifice, but their heart's not there. They're not, they're not, they're not living it. They're just doing it. And, God's, and God says, you know, these people, their lips say this, but their heart is far from me. Their heart is far from me. And so um, we have to be willing to fight that because this is what the book of Hosea is about. And then the book of Hosea, obviously, is about more than just that. It's, it's this idea of this God who loves his people so much that he goes to incredible lengths, supernatural lengths, to share with them his love for them and to try to get them to repent, this theme of loving and repentance is right through the whole thing. And we're gonna even we're gonna even see it today, all right. And so we're the last three chapters of the book. I've got to, got to divide it divided into three big sections, and we're gonna only look at one section, just chapter twelve today. And I'm just gonna say to the people in the back, my uh, iPad just. It's telling me things I didn't even know existed in this world. So it's not working. Throw it away. All right. So first point, they're going to pick me up here. First point is the the deception that we all have. And that's from chapter 12. This is the deception that we all have. And the sub-point under that is... The people of Israel, they lie to God. We're going to see how the deception works. It's, it's, it's they lie to God, and then it's going to be they lie to others. Then it's going to be they lie to themselves. But first thing is they lie to God. There's this deception, and they lie to God, and that is in, uh, actually in chapter 11, verse 12. And you're like, Bob, we're doing chapter 12. Why are you going to chapter 11, verse 12? And the reason is because in the original Hebrew, chapter 11, verse 12 is the first verse of chapter 12. Why did that verse get moved back to chapter 11? I don't have a clue. It's like Pluto. Who knows what's going on with it, but it's in the wrong place. All right? So, and verse 12 says this, Ephraim has surrounded me with lies, Israel with deceit, and Judah is unruly against God, even against the faithful one. First thing he does here is he uses three different words for the same people, Ephraim, Israel, Judah. That's all the northern kingdom. But he's saying, they're lying to me. They're lying to me. They're being deceitful. And then it says Judah is is unruly. And Judah, it actually could mean the southern kingdom. And that word unruly is kind of hard to translate. It could mean they're kind of barely hanging in there. We're not sure. But he's saying Ephraim, Israel, the northern kingdom, they keep lying. They say they're worshiping, but they're just going through the motions, they're surrounded. From every angle, just full of lies. All, they're coming from every angle. They lie for no reason. They lie to get gain. Have you ever met someone who's like that? They lie for no reason. They just say a lie, and you're like, why, why did you even say it? How did that help, your, help you at all? And yet some people, they just get so consumed by it. They can lie for no reason at all. They just give lip service, but their heart's far from me. And so he says, Ephraim, Israel, they're liars, and they're lying to me. Think how crazy that is for us to do, to lie to God, to think think we're getting away with something, to think we're getting away with something. And that happens a lot. Maybe we get involved in something. Maybe we start doing something. Maybe we say something, and and, and nothing really bad happens. And so our first thought is, well, I kind of got away with it. I kind of got away with it. But God says, no, you never get away with it. You never get away. He says, be sure your sins will find you out. You never get away with it. It's just sometimes maybe you're taking for granted the grace of God, or sometimes you're not seeing that there's something coming. And for the people of people of Israel, that's what's going on. They do not see what's coming. Remember, again, we've talked about this. They're in an incredibly prosperous time. They're doing well, and they don't see. They don't see what's happening around them. They don't see that Assyria is struggling with feeding their people, and they look south, they look south and to the east. And they see Israel, bumper crops. And they're like, there's that's how we solve our problem, right there. And, and Israel doesn't see it. They're just all out there. They're all out there, you know, plowing their fields. And they're all out there harvesting all this stuff and going, dude, this is awesome. We're doing great. And they're saying, nothing bad is happening to us. Therefore, we're okay. And God is saying to them, "Bad is coming, and it's coming hard. Repent!" And you can imagine they're like, "Repent? We're living high in the hot. What do we got? We're all good." So they're lying to God. The second one uh, under that is point B. It's, It's they lie to others. They're lying to other, especially to other nations, and that's in chapter 12, verse 1, and it says. Ephraim feeds on the wind, and he pursues the east wind all day and multiplies lies and violence. He makes a treaty with Assyria and sends olive oil to Egypt. Now, this is really interesting because what's going on is they, they started thinking, we can, we can do this. We can, we can beat both people at their own game. And so what they did was they, they went to Assyria and so said, we want to make a treaty with you. They went to Egypt and they said, we want to make a treaty with you. So they sent oil to Egypt. That's part of what was going on there. We know this from historically what was going on. And so what did they do? They said to Egypt, if Assyria invades us, we're buddies, right? You're going to defend us. Egypt's like, yeah, for oil, sure. And then they go to Assyria, and they say, if Egypt invades us, we're buddies, right? We're going to send you all these grapes and figs, and we're going to send you all this food. And Assyria's like, sure, no problem, no problem. And then we know actually... I'm just, you know, kind of summing it up. Assyria said, and and it's just us, right? You're just making this treaty with us. Oh, yeah, you're you're the only one from my eyes, right? And they're playing both sides. They're burning the candle at both ends. And what happened was Assyria found out. And Assyria said, we need grain. You guys are double dealing. And they came and got it. And so they're lying to other nations. They're multiplying. They're, They're building lies on lies on lies and they're caught, and the whole time God is telling them, if you will just trust me, I will get you through this. Will you trust me? And they go to Egypt. Will you trust me? And they go to Assyria. They were supposed to trust God, and what they did is they trusted others. Now, we don't make alliances with other nations in our lives like that, but we do make alliances. We do build on agreements with people. Maybe it's the people around you. Maybe it's people you work with. Maybe it's fellow students. And we present ourselves to people in a certain way. And we say, this is who I am. And many times it's not who you are. And how you are, how you are at work, uh, how you are with your family can be so different from how you are from other people. How you are at work can be different. How you are with your friends, how you are at church can be different from how you are when you leave church. And the key is you you become the same person in all those places. When when I first um, started dating uh, my wife, she wasn't my wife at the time, actually, uh, when I started dating her, when I started dating Bev, um, one of the things that happened was I just said, look, I'm tired of the game. I just want to let you know up front, I'm just going to be me. I'm just going to be me, and I'm kind of goofy, and I'm kind of nerdy at things, and I'm kind of this, and I'm kind of this. And, and so you can decide really quick whether you want to spend time with me because you're not going to have to spend a lot of time figuring out who I am because I'm just going to be me. And, uh, and lo and behold, she liked that idea. Now, See, now there's guys going, oh, I'll do that too, even though I don't mean it. No, I, I really meant it. And, and, and she liked that, and she could just be herself. And, and we worked hard at just accepting each other for the way we were, you know? And there would be times we'd be doing things together and she'd go, you, you really are nerdy. And uh, yeah, so, you know, how are you with other people? How are you? Because those, those are like alliances. When you go to work, when you go to school, when you go uh, into your home, when you go into the dorm, when you go all these different places, what you're doing is you're presenting yourself as a certain person. How is that going? Is it the truth? Are you the same person in all those places? Or do you change for the situation? You change how you act for the situation you're in. Because we're all tempted, just like they were, to appease people, to suck up to people, to, to consider some people more important than other people, right? Israel wasn't going. There was a little nation called Nabatea um, that was just in, between Israel and Egypt, and it was a tiny little nation. Their, their main job was just to get run over by people as they invaded back and forth. They had nothing really there. Israel didn't go to Nabatea and say, hey, guys, let's, let's, make, a, let's make a treaty. Let's make an alliance together. Why? Because they're nothing. They don't even got an army. They're worthless. And we treat people that way. We treat people, we treat some people different than how, than, than how we treat others. And God says, in Deuteronomy, God says that's a sin. God says, I treat everyone the same. Every single person who's ever lived gets treated the same, God says. And that's how we're supposed to be. And so we're tempted to do that. We're tempted, especially in our culture that loves comfort, to cut corners, So then as we move on in verse 2, verse 3, the Lord has a charge to bring against Judah. He will punish Jacob according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he grasped his brother's heel as a man he struggled with god okay so if we stop right there just real quick what is going on here what is he talking about well he's talking about the father of their country in a sense jacob who was renamed israel what they get their name it would be like it would be like if we decided in 1776 we'd be the united states of washington right? Then, anytime somebody said, well, you're like George Washington in the cherry tree, you're a liar. Well, everybody knows, oh, George Washington, he was the person, he was the person who started this country. He's the person this country's named after. We know the backstory. Well, the cherry tree thing's a lie, but we know the backstory, since we're speaking of lying. Uh, I just propagated one. Um, but what happens? These verses bring to their mind their history, the important stuff, and they know it they know it backwards and forwards. And so this is almost like uh, we're, we're going to actually take a tiny rabbit trail here right in the middle of it. So when we start to think about Jacob, let's just stop and think. What would come to their minds when we would talk about Jacob? Well, what would come to their minds is, ah, when, when, Rachel, when uh, 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 Jacob and Esau were born, right before they were born, an angel appeared to Jacob's mother and said, the younger one is going to get the blessing. And then Esau was born, and Jacob was hanging on to his hand, was on his heel when he was born. And so he was called the heel grabber, the heel clutcher, the grabber. And so as they developed, and I'm sure, you know, if you know the story of Jacob and, and, and Esau, Esau was favored by his father. And Jacob was favored, obviously, I think, in compensation, favored by his mother. And so what's going on here? Um, you have these, this, and I talked about this a, a year or two ago. I said, how not to raise kids. And I use that because they were favored. And so it pitted them against each other. And I'm sure she told him, hey, just so you know, you're actually going to get the blessing. You're going to be the one who rules the clan, not, not Esau. And so what does he do? He tries to trick him out of his birthright with, with food which probably was something, you know, Esau could say, yes, you have my birthright, but it really doesn't mean anything. The father determines that. And so we have this story, this Jacob, this person who lies all the time. And what does he do? He lies to get, and this is is interesting for us to think about, he lies to get what he thinks is right. He lies to get what God promised. He's trying to bring about God's will, but he uses deceitful ways to do it. If we have to lie or bend the truth in pursuit of a good cause, we have invalidated it. Because the ends don't justify the means. And this is what's going on here. And so it comes time for Isaac to give the blessing. And we know this story. You know, he says to Esau, give me the food I love. You know, and I was trying to think, you know, like, give me the food I love. What would I say? You know, and, uh, you know like an ELT, an elk lettuce and tomato sandwich. That's, he, says, he says to him, he says, Esau, that ELT, I that's what I want. Especially you slice it thin. It's really good that way. And I will give you the blessing that belongs to your younger brother. I will give you the blessing that you sold to your younger brother, that little punk, all right? Okay, now you're thinking ELT, little punk. That's not my Bible. Okay, you're probably using like the NIV or the ESV. You need the RMV. That's, that, that's the reversed Mosley version. That's the one where that stuff is in. I have some copies. I'll sell you. So what happens? Jacob, he knows he's been promised this blessing by God but he's not trusting God to make it happen. He's thinking how he's going to make it happen. So he and his mom deceive his father, and his father gives him the blessing. you guys know, We know this story. He tricks his father. And what is, in this passage we've been looking at, he's saying, you've become like your father Jacob. You've become like your namesake. You're deceivers. But there's a glimmer of hope. Because Jacob was a deceiver, he was a liar, he was twisting, he was conniving. But there's a glimmer of hope because we know from Genesis, and this is all, you can look it up if you want, between Genesis 28 and Genesis 35, I'm just summing up a large swath of Scripture. There's this, this, this glimmer of hope because at one point, he wrestles an angel, and it seems to be a theophany, a, a visitation of God. And he, he wrestles, and, and he prevails. He found God. I should have said this. He leaves his family because he thinks he's going to get killed by his brother. He has a vision of God at Bethel, uh, the place where he lays down, and that's what people call Jacob's ladder. It's not a ladder. It's a a causeway, and it's a time where God says, I'm going to come down. And just to link it up because I think it's really cool, when Jesus meets Nathanael, one of the things Jesus says is he says to him, basically, I'm the causeway. So Jacob lays down. God shows him this vision of heaven being able to come down to earth and earth being able to reach heaven. God shows him this vision. How can that happen? What could happen that would enable a human being to do that enable God to come down to human beings? And Jesus said, I'm the ramp that, it comes, that God comes down on. My body becomes that ramp. And so it all kind of weaves together. It's really pretty cool. And so God gives him a vision. He tells him there's a covenant still in effect. Jacob says this place is going to be called from now on Bethel, the house of God. In, G- in Genesis 29, Jacob meets Laban. Jacob, the deceiver, runs into somebody who is a master deceiver. And you know how that worked out, right? He got a taste of his own medicine. Then we move on to Genesis 32, and he wrestles with God. Genesis 32, 28, if we can bring that one up for me. Thank you. It says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is a really cool verse to me because this presents something that is like, how how can this be true? He says to him, your name was Jacob, but now you're Israel. Israel, the one, and Israel means wrestles with God. But the point of this verse is Jacob won. What an interesting thought. God got in a wrestling match with a man, and the man won. Now, he paid a heavy price, right? God dislocated his hip bone, I mean, in in the midst of that. And I got to feel like God was kind of taking it a little easy on him while he was doing it. But he tells him that that's what happened. And so if you, um, can we go back to Genesis? Uh, No, go back to Hosea, the fourth verse, where it says, He struggled with the angel. And overcame him. He wept and begged for his favor. He found him at Bethel and talked with him there. And so, as we see how his life develops, he ends up wrestling with this angel, with this vision of God, however it is, and he gets this blessing. And then in Genesis 35, God tells him, Go back to Bethel. I'm going to do something special in your life. Go back to Bethel. And it says, He told everyone in his household, Get rid of your idols, no more compromise here. No more compromise. The book of Hosea, God is saying to us, get rid of your idols. No more compromise here. Get rid of what you're trusting. They were trusting political alliances. They were trusting military alliances. They were trusting their money, their wealth, their their goods. They were trusting all those things. He said, get rid of those things. None of those will save you from what's coming. None of them will save you from the whirlwind that is coming. Only I can save you from that whirlwind. And in Genesis 35, he goes back to Bethel. He reestablishes the covenant, and God speaks to him about this relationship that they now have. Now, all of that from deceiving his brother, deceiving his father, being deceived by his father-in-law... Um, um, trying to make amends, uh, make amends with his brother, having this, in, this intense battle, in a sense, with God. And to Genesis 35, where God reestablishes the covenant and has this relationship with him. All of that is what comes to the mind of the people in the book of Hosea who are listening to it. And he, so he tells them, you've become like your father Jacob. You are deceivers, but there's a glimmer of hope. There's always a glimmer of hope. There's always a glimmer of hope. And so he says, he says put away your idols. And he even tells them earlier, I mentioned this, he's, he says, you're going to Bethel, but it's not Bethel anymore. It's Beth-Avon. Beth Aven is the house of evil instead of the house of God because they, they'd gone up to Bethel where Jacob had met God and it was a holy place to them. And they put Baal and they put Ashtaroth and they put uh, um, all these different idols all around. And then they kept an altar for God. They said, well, just keep them all. Let's, let's play, the, play the whole field, cover our bases. And so in verse 5 and then verse 6. In this passage in Hosea chapter 12, he says to them, um, now I don't even, wait, I lost it. I was hoping it would come up. Is it on the screen? Great. Just in case you can't read. He says to them, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord is his name, but you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. And so he tells them, there's hope think about this. I mean, stop and think about this because we've gone over a lot here and we talked, have talked I've talked about a lot. They're in a situation where God says, Assyria is coming and it's going to wipe you out. And he uses some phrases and some of them are coming and some he's used in the past because the Assyrians were known for their cruelty. The Assyrians were known for what they did to people that they captured fighting against them. And, and, and it, it's horrific Right? And God tells them, you're going to be ripped to shreds. You, mothers are going to have their bellies ripped open. You, you're going to, children are going to be thrown off of high places. And all those things, they happened. They did it all the time, the Assyrians did, because they wanted to inculcate fear in anyone who thought they might go against them. And he tells them, but there's hope. This doesn't have to happen. This doesn't have to happen. He says, you, you can find hope here. I want you to, uh, and, and to me, it's, this is God's heartfelt plea. I love you. Yeah, we can take that and throw it away. Um, <laughs> no. He's saying, I love you. I don't want this to happen. Repent. Repent. That's still being brought forward here. There's time to repent. I will answer. Okay, so... The third thing, we had, um, they, they, they lied to, to God, and then they lied to others, and now we're going to look at they lied to themselves. All right? and, and this is in verse 7. He says to them, in verse 7, I, I should have put it on my sheet of paper. Verse 7. Is it on the screen? Verse 7? Nope. Oh, we don't have verse 7. Okay, he says to them, you use unequal scales. You use unequal scales. He says, your merchants cheat people. You're cheating yourselves. You're cheating each other. He, he talks about you, you use a, a, a balance that is off. You love to defraud. And the whole point is, you're defrauding each other, and you're defrauding God. In Malachi, when he's dealing with some similar situations, people, he says, will a man, God says to them, will a man rob God? He says, do you think you get away with that? Do you think I just don't see it? Do you think when you cheat someone, I just turn a blind eye and not even think about it? He said, no. Will a man rob God? And so he's he's asking them a question. What is do God in your life? When you look at what God has done in your life, what is do him? What does God say is do him? He says, honor me. Glorify me. Love me. Just like I love you and then sometimes things flow out of that i love god so then i then i impact other people's lives and he says i want you to i want you to not defraud me thank you you know if i knew anything this would be so easy wouldn't it and so they lie to themselves they're prospering they're trusting riches they're trusting idols they're tempted to think look what i have i'm so rich Look what I have. Jesus tells us, beware the deceitfulness of riches. Jeremiah 17.9 tells us that the heart is deceitful. And there's another place, and, and, and we, we talked about this a few years back, there's another place where, where riches have interfered with people's ability to, to love and to worship God. And this is, this is in uh, the city of Laodicea. And uh, he, tells them, he tells them, he says, I know your works. I know that you're neither hot nor cold. I would you that th- you are either hot or cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, I want you to see, here's a map of, of Asia Minor, of what is Turkey now. And right in the middle where the red dot is, that's Laodicea. Now, we've been over this, some of you know this, but there's always people who don't anyway. I think this is so cool, I love it. All right, if you look just above kind of the red dot there, it says Hierapolis. And just below it, it says Colossae. That's where the book of Colossians that's, that's where they, those people were, all right? So Laodicea, he's saying, I wish you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. You make me want to throw up, all right? So in Hierapolis, and, and this is the, the ge- geographical layout of the land. In Hierapolis, up on this mountain, there were these hot springs. They're still there today. Before COVID, people went there like crazy as tourists because they are these, these very beautiful blue hot springs. They're about 100 degrees coming out of the mountain, and and it's like giant, and there's like 50 or 60 of them, huge, some as big as this room, like giant hot tubs. And so these hot springs were known for being good for people. It was medicinal to go and sit in those hot springs, and, and, and you just felt better. You're, 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 achy joints felt better. Your circulation was better. And so there were those hot springs. But then if you look down, there's Colossae. Now, Colossae was at uh, the base that's called Mount Cadmum, And Mount Cadmium has snow almost totally year-round, plus it has a number of springs near the top. And so this pure, cold spring water runs right down through Colossae. And so people knew, if you're sick, you need to go to Hierapolis. They have these pools of hot water that are so refreshing, full of minerals. And if you need refreshment, go to Colossae. They have the purest, most delicious drinking water. Now, those two things ran down from that mountain, and they hit the river, uh, Lyces, I think, and then they ran through Laodicea. Well, just think, hot, full of minerals, I mean, almost you could feel it. Water gets mixed with cold, pure water. What have you got? You've got lukewarm water that tastes terrible. It makes you want to throw up. And so God says, hey, I know you. I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were cold. I wish you were hot. I wish you were refreshing. I wish you were medicinal. But because you're lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. What is he saying there? He's, he takes something that they know intimately in their locality and he's making it as an application to their spiritual life. He says, You have just become so mixed up that you're worthless. Nobody drinks the water in Laodicea, they bring their own water because it's so bad. And so then he tells them, He says, For you say, I am rich. I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched and pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. What is, what's going on there? Well, here's the thing, and this is where knowing culture and context is so important because he's doing the same thing he just did about water. He's pulling something that is local to their context that they will understand perfectly. There's three things that Laodicea, and Laodicea, during the time this was written, may have been, some historians think, the richest city in the world. In the world. And here's why. They were a leader in fashion, in manufacturing garments. They're on a major trade route that links China with Europe and and then down into as much as Greece mainly, and then down into the Middle East and Egypt. All of that flows through the Mediterranean along roads and hits one main road. And sitting right in the middle of that main road is Laodicea. And so they they were known for uh, these, these, these clothing, these garments. They were known for some dyes that they could make that no one else in the world could make. Second thing they were known for banking. Because they're on a major trade route, dead middle of all these things. They established, they established, you know, the places where you could change your currencies. If you've ever traveled overseas, you know, you got to go to this place and they tell you how much we'll give you in, in, you know, British pounds compared to your American dollars. And then you, you give it to them and you go, well, it's not equal. They say, well, we take our cut, right? Right. And that's how it works. That's what they did. They built banks. Some of the biggest, first and biggest banks ever built in the world were in Laodicea. They, uh, they, um, they did the, all, all these coin exchanges for people coming from all these different places of the world, and they took their cut, and they took their cut, and they got richer, And they got richer. And because of that, they had two of the largest temples in the world. They had two huge amphitheaters built into the sides of mountains. One of them seats 15,000 people. And the person at the top can hear someone speak in a normal voice at the very bottom. These amazing amphitheaters. And uh, they had one of the largest stadiums in the world, 60,000 people there for chariot races. And and so it's this huge place. And then the third thing they were known for is their study of the sciences. They had giant libraries. They uh, were one of the first places that invented the idea of compound medicines, of mixing different medicines together to get a greater impact. They were known for an eye salve that came out of, out of a, a certain type of rock that was only in that area when they ground it down. And it was an incredible, it, it healed a lot of people. It was known for that at the temple of Asculapius. And, and uh, so all these three things, they brought them money, they brought them fame. But look at what he says. He says, you say I'm rich. You say I have prospered and I need nothing. You don't realize you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He hits the three things that they're, that's their claim to fame. We're rich, we have an eye salve that heals people, and we have the best garments in the world. And so he says in verse 18 in the book of Revelation, I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined by fire, so that you may be rich. And white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And a salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Isn't that interesting? He hits all three of those things. He says, you need the real treasure that comes through Jesus Christ. He says, you need these white garments. You need the real righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ. He says, you need the real eyesight It only comes through Jesus Christ. And in verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. The whole point of this passage is repentance. The whole point of of Hosea is repentance. And and the people in Israel are much like the people in Laodicea. Things are going great. We're rich. This is awesome. And God is telling them, you're about to be incredibly poor. You have these nice homes. And he tells them later, he says, you're going to start living in tents again he says, you have all these, you're going to lose everything. And we talk about this, I've talked about this before, we're the richest nation in the world. Our church cannot become Laodicea. We cannot become lukewarm and just average and just meh. We can't do it. Because God says, I take away from people like that. And sin deceives us. Paul Tripp wrote, The doctrine of sin is probably the most empirically verifiable doctrine in the Bible. It's not hard to see it all around us, and probably the most maligned and least believed in. If you have kids, even now, I can imagine it's in some, right now some parents going, Will you guys be quiet? I'm trying to listen to Pastor Bob. Right? If you have kids, you know the fact that there is sin. Right? You just know it, it's just automatic. I saw it in my kids. I see it in my grandkids. A while back, my, uh, my grandson, I uh, was taking care of him while his parents were out. And he was about three years old. And I'm putting him to bed, and I go through the whole, the, all the rigmarole nowadays. Read three stories, sing two, staunts, two songs, share some things, blah, blah, blah. And finally, I get in bed, and, and I'm leaving his room, and he, and he goes, Pops, you can leave the door open. And I said, Caleb, buddy, I, I think, I think, Mom and Daddy said, you, you close your door. No, they said, if I, whenever I want to, I can leave it open. Hmm. Just not sounding right. You know, so I said, well, are you sure? I said, now, Caleb, think about this. Are you telling me that Mama and Daddy said, you're allowed to have this door open tonight? Yes. I said, okay. Look, I'm just going to call them real quick and check on that. And he looks at me and he goes, Close the door. And as I start to close it, all I can hear him, all I hear him is the door closes is great. <laughs> and he lays down. Now, now, who taught him to do that? His parents didn't te- his parents didn't sit down, okay. Today we're gonna learn about lying. Right? You can get things you want if you lie. No one teaches a child to lie. They pick it up on, they figure that out on their own, right? They figure that out on their own. Nobody says, hey, listen, this toy, anytime someone wants it, just scream, mine, mine, and it'll be okay, right? No one has to teach a kid that. We don't have to teach it. There's something in us. We're selfish, and there's something wrong with us. We're born this way. We lie to others. We lie to ourselves. We hide from God. We pretend that we're better than we are, and we don't like to talk about these things. I don't like to talk about these things, but it's what we need to talk about sometimes. Because at the very end, he says, I'm the Lord, I've been the Lord your God ever since you came out of Egypt. I will make you live in tents again, as in the days of your appointed festivals. I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions, and told parables through them. He says, he says look, you think you don't need me, and you've forgotten me. And he's reminding them, of how they used to depend on him. He says, I brought you out of Egypt. Remember how you used to depend on me? You depended on me for food. And then he says, I'm going to make you live in tents again. It's going to happen. You're going to lose it all. All these big houses, all these nice places. And he says, as in the days of your appointed festivals, he's reminding, he says, what's the point of those festivals? What's the point of all of that? It's to remind them of something, to remember what God has done in the past, and then how that equips them to serve him in the future. And they've totally forgotten the point, or they've totally ignored the point. And he says, I spoke to the prophets. I gave them many visions and told parables. He says, I've been telling you this for a thousand years. I've been warning you. And I, and I think in, in one sense, in a very real way, this morning, God is warning us. He's warning me. He's warning you. And he's saying, I'm warning you again. This is a relationship. Don't make it mechanical don't ignore me. Don't forget me. Don't take for granted what I've done for you. Because when you do that, and I think it, it very much it's like God saying, I don't have to do anything. It will lead you into destruction. There is a way that seems right, and it leads to destruction. Apart from God. And so he reminds them. He tells them, this is what the festivals were for. I sent you all these prophets. I have been pleading with you, repent and return. And so now it behooves us to think, okay, God, what do I need to do? Is there somewhere where I've been shading the truth? Is there somewhere where I've not not pursued the truth like I should? Is there somewhere where I've neglected what's right for you? And then it's not, oh, I'm so terrible. Because that's my first thought, right? I just think, God, I'm such a failure. I let you down all the time. But that's not what God's looking for right there. What is he looking for? It's like repentance. God, I confess to you. I've let you down. I can't do it. Forgive me. And then moving on. He's looking for repentance. That's what he was looking looking for in the book of Hosea with, with the children of Israel, the whole northern tribes. He's telling them, this does not have to happen. What's coming can be averted. Just repent. And they refuse to. And so we see this heart of God towards them and towards us. He loves us dearly. He wants what's best. He knows what's best for us. He created us. He knows that if we walk in his footsteps, that is the path that leads to meaning in life. That's the path that leads to joy. I don't walk in his footsteps to get joy or meaning. I walk in his footsteps because that's what is the right thing to do. He's God. I'm his child. I'll follow. But that is the path where he says, I know what you need. I know what you're made for. I made you for something. Don't settle. Don't settle for houses and bank accounts and cars and clothes. And Don't settle for that. None of those things are wrong. I don't want to say that. they're not wrong, but they're not our purpose. They're not our purpose. We were singing all my life, You have been faithful. You know, when you live longer, it's more, you think about it more. Um, and so, as we close, uh, and one thing, um, it's always difficult. Um, I don't know. My mom died this weekend, and I knew it was coming. She, I. It's been three or four years since she's known who I am. So you kind of get ready for it and you think about it. And, and, uh, and then it happens and you're not ready for it. And, and it's a difficult time. But as we sang, all my life you have been faithful. Man, I just hate it when I cry. All my life you have been faithful. I thought of my mom. My mom met Jesus when she was about 40. And, uh, and he changed her life in such a radical way and through her and my brothers he changed my life and then my dad uh, and so now she's with him and uh I just didn't want uh this to kind of trickle around so that people find out and somebody comes up to me a month later and says did I hear you you know so um my mom is in heaven she's with Jesus now and she's she's my dad's there and family members and um So in one way, I'm very thankful that her suffering has ended, but uh, also, it's it's weird. She didn't even know who I was towards the end, and I miss her, so it's kind of a crazy thing. Um, As you leave this place, be thinking, you have a God who all your life, He's been faithful. My wife and I were sitting the other day, and I was thinking about all the events that led to me coming to know Jesus. And I think almost everyone here, we all have these little stories of, yeah, man, God was protecting me because I could have died in that moment. And I look back at the things I did, and and, you know, I tell you guys that I was a pretty bad kid, and everybody's like, oh, Bob, he's so humble. No, it's just I was a pretty bad kid and uh, did some terrible things, and I could have died so many times. And God spared me um, and then saved me. So all my life, he's been faithful. Even when I didn't know him, he's been faithful. And he's been faithful for you. And so he calls to us, now, leave this place and go and be light in a dark world. Be people of grace, people of love, people of empathy, people who share Jesus through word and deed. That's our, that's our job. And... Uh, My mom, we just got her well done, good and faithful servant. For us, ours is still coming. And so we have time. We have time to do more for this Savior who loved us so much. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your word, even in a book that can be so difficult as Hosea. We just see over and over and over, you you break in with, with your love. You call them to repentance. You give them chances and options. And Lord, you do that for us. Help us to not take that for granted. Help us to live in a way that honors and glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining at home or here. We love having you. God bless you, and you are dismissed.